happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career. For your family. For your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Mood, the no talking points, no bullshit podcast that takes you behind the curtain, off the red carpet, and to the front lines of progress with changemakers and innovators that are doing the work to shift our culture and expand their social impact. I am super excited to welcome to PM Mood author and body positive extraordinaire Sonia Renee Taylor, who is the author of The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love. Sonia, thank you so much for coming on PM Mood. You are joining us from a beautiful, magical place that I have yet to visit, New Zealand. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Aotearoa, New Zealand. And it is indeed beautiful and magical. It is. So, you know, in this, we're living in a crazy time. We're living in the midst of a horrific global pandemic where I believe that self-care is of the utmost important at this time. Like it is, you know, many people are talking about this moment being a moment where we do need to journey inside, right? Like we are physically inside. In the United States, we are physically indoors. And in New York, for me, we are literally sheltering in place. But there is something also about taking this opportunity to actually be in your body. And this is what you write about and you talk about. So can you explain, let's just jump in with the title of the book, that the body is not an apology. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, the title of the book comes from it started off as a conversation that became a poem that became a Facebook page that became a movement and a company and then a book. So that's been the trajectory of that title. It happened first in a conversation with a friend who was afraid she had an unintended pregnancy. And I am notorious for deep inquiry into my 
people I love's business from a place of love though. And so I asked her about why she was having unprotected sex. I knew the person was a casual partner. I knew she wasn't really feeling him like that. And, and my friend had cerebral palsy and she said that her disability made it difficult for her to be sexual. So she didn't feel entitled to ask this person to use a condom. Like it would just be another thing. And I said to her, your body is not an apology. It's not something you offer to someone to say, sorry for my disability. And in that moment, in that moment, those words just crystallized. They became something, not just for her journey, but they became something for my journey. And I was clear that something was going to happen to him. And because I'm a poet, I was like, that sounds awfully poetic. I'm probably going to write that poem. So I did. I wrote the poem, The Body is Not an Apology. And I think that the words have always just been asking to be more because they just felt so true. Like I started to be able to reflect on all the ways in which being in this fat, black, queer, dark skin body, I was told that that was wrong in so many different ways and that Mm -hmm. I should be sorry for being in this body and should be sorry for being in this mind the way that it works and should be sorry for being in this spirit the way that it works. And it felt so, it just felt so resonant when those words came out that I was like, right, what are we, why are we apologizing for, for being humans born in bodies, whatever those bodies look like? Yeah. And then I think the words just continued to become what it was that they were meant to be in the world. You know, as somebody who has I don't know. I probably couldn't tell you the number of diets that I have been on. I probably couldn't Mm -hmm. tell you the amount of time and energy that I have spent pulling and prodding Mm -hmm. and trying to fix myself in a Mm -hmm. variety of different ways. And so the title hit me so much because I feel like, in all honesty, I owe my body an apology for treating it the way that I have treated it for the past 40 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all do in some ways, right? Our body doesn't actually want our apology. Our body wants our love, right? Mm. Like our body isn't like you owe me an apology. (laughs) Our body's like, I just want a reconciled relationship. You know, like I just want us to be good because we're good. And I think that the way in which we're taught that like something is wrong and fix it, it's easy I think in this, you know, sort of like self-help world to turn that back on yourself and be like, okay, well, something was wrong externally and I've been trying to fix it. Well, now there must be something wrong internally and I'm trying to fix it. And then we get in this loop of like just never being good enough. I wasn't good enough when I was dieting all the time and now I'm not being good enough being body positive. And I think that there are all of these ways, you know, that we, (laughs) a workshop participant called it meta shame. Shame for having shame. Now I'm ashamed because I have body shame. <laughs> it's like, woo, can we ever get out, right? And I think that the, the, yeah. invitation, the invitation is to just bring whatever it is more love, right? Like whatever it is that, you're not, that you think needs fixed actually just needs more love. Yeah. So in the, in the book, you, you talk about and you give definition to and presence to radical self-love which you describe as being very different than self-acceptance or self-confidence. Yeah. Say more about that, about what, because I thought, right. And it's not necessarily, you're not saying that I, that any of us, I think that is wrong, but it's just Mm -hmm. like, think about the progression, right. The progression of, of this terminology and what it means. It's almost as a black lesbian, 
you know, it was like we started with let's just tolerate us, right? Mm -hmm. And we moved from mm -hmm. a place of tolerance to a place of, no, I don't want to be tolerated. I actually want to be accepted. I, I tolerate Brussels sprouts without bacon. I don't, right. I don't, I don't really want to accept it in my place. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I yeah. think, so for me, I think there are a couple of distinctions. The first is just my own orientation to the world, which is that I'm, I'm not interested in simply helping individuals feel better about themselves because just feeling better about oneself does not change the systemic and structural issues of inequity and injustice that exist in the world. Our individual self-esteem has not toppled one system of inequality. Mm. And so for me, this work is not just like feel good work. This is political work. This work is social justice work. And so consequently, self-esteem is not a political issue. <laughs> self-esteem and self-confidence are individual. They're fleeting. They're circumstantial. You look cute mm. that day. People notice your outfit. You feel popping. They don't notice your outfit. You over here wondering whether or not you really put it together like you thought you did. Right? Like, so those are conditional experiences. And radical self-love is not a conditional experience. It's our inherent existence. It's how you arrived here on the planet before all of the other layers of crap showed up on top of us to tell us mm -hmm. that somehow we were deficient. And so, and those messages of deficiency are not individual messages, right? Like there's a reason that you plus millions of other people can't count the number of diets they've been on, including yep. myself. That's mm -hmm. not accidental, right? That's systemic. Somebody makes a lot of money off of the fact that we're deeply invested in thinking that something is wrong and we need to fix it. There's an entire economic, political, and social system tied to those ideas. And so a radical self-love acknowledges that my inherent existence as love is as Audre Lorde said, it's a political act, it's an act mm -hmm. of political warfare. And that taking back my experience of being 100% worthy and powerful and divine in the body that I have as it is right now, and I mean that in the spiritual, mental, and physical body, is an act that interrupts a system that profits off of us not believing that. That's mm. political. That's radical, right? And that if enough of us divest from that system, that system falls. That's radical. And so the ways why in which... You, why yeah. do you think, though, why do you think that there is such a level of discomfort when people decide to divest from that system? Because I would argue, like, you know, let's just look at one example, pop culture example, Lizzo. Mm -hmm. Lizzo mm -hmm. is the example of somebody that is like, I'm not going to be ashamed that I am a, mm -hmm. that I am a big black woman. I mm -hmm. like the way I look. I like how I show up. I like the way I move and present. And that is uncomfortable for folks. We are doing uh, essays and books about the <laughs> levels of which we feel uncomfortable about Lizzo's comfort. Yes, yes. Well, because Lizzo's comfort challenges our worldview it, it challenges it means that if lizzo is okay in lizzo's body then what have i spent the last 35 years doing mm -hmm. then what 
then what, where is the payoff that I will get for the amount of investment that I have put into trying to conform to this system? Whereas Lizzo means that we won't get the payoff. That's the fear. And wow. that's the discomfort. That's the fear and that's the discomfort. If everybody divests, then the thing that I have built my whole life around, my identity around, my worth around, gets dismantled. Then we're really left to shelter in place. <laughs> to be wow. in, a, in our own selves, really having to reckon with, with what we thought our self-worth was. Damn. That is so right. Because I'm thinking to myself, you know, I said, every time I see her, and there are other women, but I, I use her because she's very top of mind. But it's like, I look at her and I, it's with envy. Why can't I show up that full, right? That mm -hmm. present. And I think that for some people, that envy really turns into bitterness, right? Yeah. How yeah. dare she, right? How dare she. It's this idea that if I can show myself, and here's two, I want to talk about this as well, which is this balance between confidence and ego and mm -hmm. radical self-love. What are the dots that we're connecting there or not? Totally. So I think the way that I think, again, I use babies as an example and toddlers as an example, because they're the closest to mm -hmm. that unfettered existence and representation of like of, of what radical self-love really looks like right and you've never called a baby egotistical that's an egotistical baby right? <laughs> the baby yeah, out there funny. feeling themselves <laughs> feeling the themselves right right nobody's ever been like that's an arrogant baby right no you're like wow <laughs> this baby is totally this child is totally empowered right this child mm. is totally connected to what an amazing, powerful being they are. That is how we all arrived here. You had to pass through toddlerdom. You had to pass through it. Mm -hmm. You too, at one point, had that relationship with yourself and with in a clear connection to your own divinity. Ego and confidence. Again, confidence is, like I said, it's fleeting and external. You know, the world giveth and the world taketh away, yep. depending on what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. But ego... Ego is so rooted in comparison. And as soon as you're in a system of comparison, you know you're outside of radical self-love. Like, I'm good. I'm good because I'm better than, because I'm the top of, mm -hmm. because I have ascended to, even when that comparison, and oftentimes people are like, I'm only, you know, I'm comparing myself to myself. Even that assumes that there is some version of yourself that isn't good enough right? Mm. Even though it's still a system of comparison. So ego would have us say, I am somehow, that my worth is dependent upon how much I can attain, do, experience, succeed at, based on some comparative barometer, right? Mm. Radical self-love doesn't need any comparison. The baby not happy because it got the ABCs faster than somebody else got the ABCs. I'm over here killing kindergarten. It's not what's murdering. <laughs> right? You're just, they're just proud of themselves. They're just elated to recognize what is possible in their own beings. And, and that, that there's not some idea that, that what wasn't possible yesterday was a lesser version of themselves. 
That to me is, mm. is the difference between ego and radical self-love. The radical self-love doesn't propose that there's some lesser version of you that you are trying to escape, right? Is that there is a constant expansion and awareness, deeper connection to our own divinity, but that wherever we were before that was not some lesser version of us. You know, I think about that. I think about what you're saying and what comes up to me is also the apology that we as black people, specifically black women, are supposed to make for just existing. If you mm -hmm. are somebody that is, I am black and I am pro-black and I am proud of being black and I love the variance of our skin, of our identity, of the layeredness of that you know, that makes me anti-white, right? You hear, you know, Tina Knowles talked about it on Solange's album, mm -hmm. that why is me loving me mean that I am anti-something else? Mm -hmm. In a system that is constructed off of comparison, there's no other option. So in the book, I give uh, 10 tools to radical self-love and tool number five is banish the binary. And the whole purpose of that tool is about getting out of the idea of an either or dichotomy of relationship to ourselves and to each other right so that if i that if i feel this way it must mean that i feel this opposite way about something else right that if mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. love me unapologetically it must mean that i think i'm better than you that is a that is a worldview born out of a system of capitalism if we're going to connect it to the larger system come on system, please right? right so under a system of capitalism where supply is limited where scarcity mm -hmm. is is essential in order for us to actually operate mm -hmm. in the world mm -hmm. then you have to come from a place of if i have more it must mean you have less if i am more it must mean you are less because there is no other space under that worldview for us to all be in fullness and abundance and so just that system unto itself encourages the kind of thinking that puts us at an us or them dynamic, a binary dynamic with one another. You know, we always talk about wanting to make the world a better place, right? And, and how do you leave the world better? And, you know, one of the things that has constantly been said was that you start with yourself, right? But when I think about this, this system in which we are trapped in, particularly in the United States, this system which we are seeing right now, the myriad of ways in which we have holes and gaps that we have allowed full people, full communities to fall through. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about in the midst of pandemic, I keep saying that there is opportunity in the obstacle. That you can, you can think radically about how you shift things. That I believe in the burning down in order for the phoenix to rise. Then all of those, I believe in all those of, of those sayings. But when I think about how big this system is, that is built on scarcity, that is built on the haves and the have-nots, and how far apart we have, a, how far apart we have moved from that. Yeah. The United States is the richest country was the richest country, and yet we have all of this marginalization, all of this yeah. hunger, all of this economic vulnerability and instability. How do you shift and move from that scarcity to that sense of abundance in recognition that there is enough, that there yeah. is enough because it is a mindset and it's playing out in the political party structure, 
here in the United yep. States. It's playing out around the world in so many different ways. How do you shift from scarcity to abundance? So for me, I mean, I'm a firm believer that, and I'm a, def, I'm a definitely believer that we cannot build externally what we haven't built internally. So that which we desire to see in the world, we have to create in us. Otherwise, we're not working with the tools that are needed to create that externally. And so the first place, you know, that I look is where is scarcity operating in my own life? Where have this ideals and constructs of the system been adopted by me? Because we are the system. And I think that's the thing that's the most uncomfortable for us to be with. It's like, it's not this, capitalism is not an amorphous blob that is, you know, just hovering over all of our heads. Mm. It is the last thing you bought from Amazon. Mm. It is the last, you know, like it is the choice to, you know, buy fast clothes, you know, made with unethically. It is, yeah. you know, like we are part of those decisions. It's the choice to, you know, post that diet meme that shames that other body about how much weight they're going to gain during Corona. We are the system. And so in order to, and of course we're the system because we were birthed into it, right? We were, we've been indoctrinated with all of the same ideas about that scarcity and about what bodies are good bodies and bad bodies and what humans are worthy and valuable and which humans are not. All of us have gotten that, all of us. And so for me, the beginning place is where does the system live in my daily life and my mm. daily choices and my daily relationship with myself and how I relate to the world? Where have I bought into the system? Because if I'm saying the system is not serving us, then it's certainly not serving me in the places and where right. I bought into it. So choosing to be in that exploration, all right, well, what are the, what are the beliefs? Um, and, and this is, you know, I'm a person who's just kind of naturally inner, innerly inquisitive. I'm a Scorpio, so I want to know all about <laughs> the death too. of all Scorpio, when's your yeah. birthday? November 10th. November 12th, I'm two days later. Oh my God, yay. <laughs> so yeah, so there's, there's a natural desire for me to do this, like, deep searching. It's not everybody's thing, I recognize. Mm -hmm. And so for people who it's not everybody's thing, there's important, it's important to have some tools, right? Like, so what are some signposts that I can, and that's why I made the 10 tools, because I was like, oh, what are some easy everyday things that people can look at to be like, oh, how am I invested in the system? One great way is looking at, look, oh, yeah, am I still dieting, right? Because dieting means I think there's something wrong with my body, <laughs> period, <Yeah. laughs> right? So that's a great way to be like, oh, am I still, you know, do I look around my life and are there no other marginalized identities? Do I not see other bodies other than my own body, right? Do I look in my place of work and they all look the same? Do I look in my social circle and we all look the same? And if we do, is why is that? And why is it that I don't consider or think about other people's experiences in their bodies, right? So there are just little signposts and things to do. And, and I come out with a workbook uh, that is based around those 10 tools. That is really like, how do I walk myself through this process? What are the like things, practical things that I can do every day? And, you know, at the Bodies on Apology, we have some of the, we have an e-course around that. And so there, you're going to have to do some work. And I think that's the thing that people will have to just step into, which is like, if we want to unlearn 
the mm-hmm. language of oppression and body terrorism, as we call it, that the body is not an apology. Oh, wow. Then we're gonna body terrorism. To, mm-hmm. We're going to have to, we're going to have to do some work. We're going to, you know, the same way you would have to do some work if you wanted to learn a new language, any new language. You have to study. You're going to have to read. You're going to have to listen to other people. And people are like, oh, that seems so overwhelming. Because in all honesty, right, it's so much easier to go on a diet, say, well, I'm just not going to eat all these things, as opposed to going in and doing the internal work of feeling like, why am I making that food, this thing, my mm-hmm. enemy, right? right. Like, why, like, because the part of dieting to me is about, like, you have made your body the enemy. Yeah. I'm weighing on a scale. Oh, God, you, you went up 0.5 pounds. You went down this, so yay, let's celebrate. Or you went, you know, like... Right. But it's like this internal dive that is necessary for us to unlearn all of the things that we have been taught from birth. Outside of moving past that toddler stage, being fat ain't cute anymore. Right? I think, what did they say? Girls as young as five, six years old, they get it. Yeah, they get into kindergarten and all of a sudden they start measuring themselves. against what they're seeing. How come I don't look like this little girl? How come I don't look like that little boy? How come I, you know, what is it about me? Yeah, totally. I think we think it's easier to just go on the diet than to Mm. do the internal work. But the truth of the matter is if you really investigate what it is to have spent years in that conflictual relationship with one's body, to spend years, like, just like you said, and I certainly, it's just true for me, the amount of energy time and money that I have spent trying to alter my body, Mm. right? The amount of sadness and stress and angst every time I lost the weight and then gained it back, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not, it's actually not easier. It's been much easier to just be like, fuck diets. That's been much easier. (laughs) (laughs) It was scarier. It was scarier, but it wasn't harder. And it was scarier because it meant that I had to actually divest from a world that says, no, this is really where the payoff is. No, really, you're going to get all the things you think you want when you hit X pounds, right? That's mm-hmm. that, it's scary to give up hope on that entire system. But once you give up hope on that entire system, you recognize what an illusion the system was. And then you're like, oh, I was tripping. Yeah. So walking through the door is is scary, but it's not harder. Do you find yours? I mean, you are clearly very evolved uh, and in a place where you are... I'm going to teach people. I'm going to show them, right? And, you know, I love your Instagram because your Instagram is life. It provides such a light on, you know, on so many things. What do you do if and when you find yourself slipping back into the mentality that you have been working day in and day out to unlearn? And I do, and I will, unless I'm, you know, miraculously wind up in some other alternate universe where all these systems don't exist anymore, then I'm always, I'm at the whim of those systems too. And those messages show up for me the same way that they show up for anyone else. The difference is I have some tools today to practice. I have practices. So for example, when I was 
preparing to go to the States. And, and I recognize, I always want to be mindful that oftentimes the conversation when we're talking about the body is not an apology and about this work drifts to weight because I think it's one of those things that's like easy for us to touch. But there's, but I'm talking about the fullness of our bodies and I'm talking about the fullness of our identities. And so, you know, like, I'm not just talking about, oh, I noticed I gained some weight. It's also, oh, where does anti-Blackness live in me? Where's my internalized homophobia and my transphobia? Where's my ableism showing up? Like, all of these things live in this conversation. But to give an example of just, like, practical tools is I was getting ready to go to the States to go on tour right before, you know, pandemic, pandemic 2020 yeah. rolled out. And I went in my closet and I was going to pack a thing and I couldn't fit it anymore. And the immediate thought, because I too have been indoctrinated into a system that says like, oh, something's wrong with you if you can't fit A, B, and C, right? Mm -hmm. So I found myself going into this voice, what I call the outside voice inside of us, the spiral about how I'm wrong. And then I caught myself. And that's the difference today is that I'm able to catch that when that happens. Cause I know that that voice mm -hmm. isn't my voice. I have enough awareness now to be like, oh, that's not my voice. That's the system talking through me right now. Right. And then I have some tools. So one of the tools that's in the body is not an apologies toolkit is reframe your framework. And it's like, what's the perspective that you're starting with and how can you flip that perspective so that it is one that's less adversarial to your body. Mm -hmm. And so immediately I was like, Sonia, that shirt has been in your closet since 2009. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like 11 years old. Sonia, the shirt is 11 years old. Homie. It's 11 and years then I old. Said, what has changed in your life in 11 years? Everything. <laughs> Everything. 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 Every, like I live in a whole new country, right? Like everything has changed. And then I said, so what makes you think your body should not have? Mm -mm -mm. And, then, and then I was like, oh yeah, I'm tripping. And then I went on and I packed my clothes. <laughs> and so that's the process. That's what happens when you have tools is that the tools actually help you recalibrate when you start to drive off the road. It's like its own little, its own little yeah. system that realigns the car. I mean... My, I cannot tell you, like that story hit me. <laughs> that hit. Because I don't know how many times I have been in that situation. And instead of running through that process, which I will now use and add into my toolbox, I've been like, what is wrong with you? How could you possibly not? Like, how can we imagine that life changes so much? So much in a year. Look what has happened right now in the world. Right. Like, look, I mean, look at what has happened from February until April. Right. But I'm expecting things that are static hanging in my closet. I'm expecting my body not to have changed in any way, but the world yeah. around me is changing. Change. Wow. Everything changed. Yeah. And what does it look yeah. like to give, you know, like Octavia Butler says, you know, everything we touch, we change. Everything we change changes us. The only constant is change. God is change. And so what Parable is it? Parable of the sower. Right. So to trust that with our own bodies, right? If God is change, then all the ways that my body changes is a manifestation of God. That's a beautiful way to hold that.
you know? So it's about changing our mindsets around how we approach the conversation. Because the external conversation is going to be the same one it's been for thousands of years at this point. But our internal conversation gets to be a different one. We get to pick that one. Oh, my God. I'm coming to New Zealand. I'm booking a damn plane. As soon as Corona done, as soon as Corona done, you still there, I'm coming. Come on. I come need, on. I need to sit there with some incense, some green juice, and I'm going to soak this in. Yeah. Oh, come on. I welcome it. One of the last questions that I ask guests on PM Mood is, how do you get in the mood to change the world? What, is, what does that look like for you? It's all a spiritual practice. Today it is I ask for guidance, recognizing that when I'm just operating off of Sonia's old decisions, the world gets changed in, kind of, in ways I'm not necessarily interested in having it change. And so really tapping it. And I think it's important for people to be willing to tap into whatever spirit is for them, right? Like, I don't care if, if you call it God, call it God. If you call it intuition, call it intuition, but call it. You know, like call it because there's the difference between when I talk about the outside voice, the system voice, the voice that tells us we're deficient and not good enough and failing. And then there's the inside voice, right? Yeah. And the inside voice is the voice that actually knows, knows our divinity, knows our worthiness, knows our enoughness. And that voice, it's about learning how to turn up the volume on that voice. And part of that for me is being in a spiritual practice where I actually just ask to be a clearer vessel, clearer for myself and clearer for the world. And in being an intentional practice, and I'm currently very much like in the throes of learning what that is, because it, it requires me to give up things that I really, really like, like things like coffee and like sleeping in late. <laughs> and it's like, no, actually, if you want to be a clearer vessel, you got to, there are times when you're going to have to wake up when the sun come up so that you can yeah. see. So things can be illuminated to you, right? And so I am learning how to give myself over to that process more so that I can be who it is I really desire to be in the world, which is just the manifestation of my highest version of it. It's who I already was. It's who I've been until all these other layers got put on. So I'm learning to strip away the layers. Sonia, you are a treasure and a damn gift. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you Thank so much you. for your work. Thank you so much for radically changing and making some shifts in me. If I could have shown the vibration that went through when you <laughs> said several things, that's how I feel and that's how I hope people feel after they listen to this episode. Thank I you. Hope so too. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I so appreciate it. It's a good conversation to start the day off with. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's PM Mood. My political podcast, Woke AF Daily, is on Patreon for just $5 a month. That's five new hour-long shows every week for just $5 a month. Join the conversation now at patreon.com slash Woke AF. And you can continue listening to PM Mood every week absolutely free. Now more than ever, we see the importance of independent media. So thank you for your support. And as always, stay in the PM mood to change the world. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. 
Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. We went from normal life, healthy child, to acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.